No one would dispute that this year has been hard on everyone. We have seen hatred and strife, disease and death and uncertainty on every hand. There have been times when it seemed like there was little that we could find to say, here's something wonderful. Such was the case so many years ago before the birth of Christ. Things were not great. The Jews were under Roman rule. Taxation and hardship were just a part of the scenario before the coming of Christ. Herod was a hateful and villainous despot, and the law of Moses brought no comfort. Mankind was caught in the rat race, and even the religious leaders of the day were not looking for that to change anytime soon. But then, something wonderful happened, foretold by the prophets, proclaimed by the angels, worshipped by shepherds and wise men, and cradled in a manger. Jesus, the King of kings, was born. It truly was a wonderful thing. Born, born, born is a king. Let heaven and nature join and sing. Glory, hallelujah, it is a wonderful thing. Born, born, born is a king. Born, born. Born is the King, let heaven and nature join and sing. Glory, hallelujah, is a wonderful thing. Born, born, born is the King. Mary and Joseph heard the angels say, You're gonna have a baby, it'll happen this way. God will be the Father, no matter what they say. God will in the name of Jesus, God will trust and obey. Born, born. Born is the King, let heaven and nature join and sing. Glory, hallelujah, is a wonderful thing. Born, born, born is the King. Shepherds in the night watching over their sheep thought they were in for a good night's sleep. When out of the blue of the desert night came a host of mighty angels, they were singing in flight. Born, 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 born is the King, let heaven and nature join and sing. Glory, hallelujah, it's a wonderful thing. Born, 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 born is the King. And Jesus told the shepherds there was nothing to fear. In fact, they told the shepherds there was goodness to hear. Oh, Savior has been born this very night. Now go on get into town, you've never seen such a sight. If you're like so many others, you feel like this year has just dragged on forever. It seems like just when we might see a ray of light, the clouds have gathered again. That is nothing new to the people of this world. It was not new in Bethlehem either. For over 400 years, the heavens had been silent. No word from a prophet. No new word from heaven. Then... The angel broke the silence and everything changed. The words, it came to pass, meant more than just the passing of time, but rather the passing of despair. The incarnation of Jesus was not simply the birth of a child. It was so much more. 
It marked the birth of the Savior. This Savior had not come to simply deliver His people from the Romans, but from their sin. You see, He is the long-awaited Messiah. He brought light into darkness, love into hatred, and hope into despair. He was finally happened on Christmas morning was that love was born, light came down, and hope rose once again in hurting hearts. Emmanuel, God is with us. Sense the joy that He brings. Feel the love that He bestows. 
and know that despite the pain that we sometimes feel when Emmanuel is near all really is well
The world had little understanding of what happened on that night in such a lowly place. The end of every need was now here. The hope for an end to every woe and sorrow had come. The end of condemnation for sin was now in the form of a baby and lying in a manger. As the wise men of old drew near the Christ child to worship Him and offer Him gifts, so too we are invited to worship Him. Will you bow your heart before the King who came to die so that you might live? Will you with awe and wonder come now before Him in sweet adoration? It is men still seek Him, and that loving hearts still worship Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. You step down from heaven, Praises raise 
endless joy awakening, at your feet we fall. Angels sing, praises ring to the newborn King. He's on earth, here with us, joy awakening, at your feet we fall. In 2020, we have sadly made Christmas into something that God never intended. It has become filled with our traditions and counter-narratives to the extent that we give only a small measure of the season of Christmas to the reason for Christmas. Christmas is a life-altering event, but it was not the end. It was rather a step in the journey that would lead our Savior to an old rugged cross. From there He would be buried. But it would not be the end. Three days later, He rose up from the grave, proving that what the angels said and the prophets foretold was indeed true. This One who came once at Christmas is coming again to receive all who have trusted Him as their Savior. The lights came on at Christmas, marking the dawn of hope. That same hope of Christmas has radiated more gloriously because of God's unchanging plan. So let us hold on to hope. Let us hold on to Christmas. And more importantly, let us hold on to the Christ of Christmas. Yeah. 
Praise the Lord. Let's give them a hand, shall we? What a thrill it is to be able to gather and to hear the songs of Christmas and really to consider together the truth of what Christmas is really all about and how I thank these precious folks for their effort. And I want to say a special word of thanks to Indy. Um, she's a very busy person and... Uh, she, she works many hours on her secular job and uh, drives many miles. And uh, for her to do this, it came at great effort. And I appreciate it so, so very much. And uh, Jan and Ed, you have every reason to be proud of your daughter today. And uh, we love her. Thank you for doing a great job of raising her. We feel like we're the beneficiaries of that. And uh, I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bible for a little time with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 2. John chapter number 2. And as I considered what to bring you on this Christmas morning, um, my mind raced back over the last 17 Christmases that I have been here. And in the average month of December, as a pastor, I would about a dozen times bring a message, be it Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, a men's Bible study, a silver fellowship, a youth activity, a class party. Not uncommon 10 or 12 times each December to bring a, a Christmas message of some sort. And when you multiply that over 18 times, that's quite a few messages. And it's a challenge to say, how many different ways is there to say the same thing? And the fact of the matter is that you know, it never gets old. And the Lord never ceases to amaze me in the things that He unfolds for me from His Word that after the thousandth reading I never saw, but on that thousand and first, the lights come on. And the truth of it comes home to my heart. Today I want to bring a little bit of an unusual message that I hope you'll remember that may resonate with you. And it's in an unconventional place for a Christmas message. Many would say, I would understand if you were in John 1, or perhaps Matthew 1 or 2, or Luke 2 for sure, but this is a tougher spot to begin a Christmas message. And So I want you to listen on purpose with me, and I'll tell you that uh, um, I'm, I've got a file folder about this thick, filled with Christmas humor. And I went leafing through that, and I've told every one of those dumb jokes a thousand times in church, and I thought, you know, I could try to um, 
have you endure that? And, and I'd probably get some courtesy laughs. And if someone is new to the church, they'd probably laugh their heads off because, because I am hilarious. And I have great timing. But uh, anyhow, <laughs> uh, but you know, listen, I want to tell you something today that, that we need to be serious about. And uh, there's a place for, uh, for us to, to have laughter. By the way, do you know that I believe that Jesus laughed? Right? How many of you believe that He did? How many of you believe that, that He was a man and there were things that He saw that just tickled Him and He just laughed with wonder and, and glee? And, and look, I, I, can, I, I just have a picture in my mind of Jesus as the children flocked to Him and He said, Suffer the little children to come unto Me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he'd take them in His arms and bounce them on His knee. And, and what a wonderful... A thing it must have been to be around that. And I can imagine that the laughter that surrounded the Lord during those times was infectious. I've shared with my Sunday school class, I have a little video that uh, Rachel took of Cole uh, back oh, several months ago of when she and Chase took the, the boys to the park and she put Cole in a little uh, swing and uh, Chase was was swinging him back and forth, and he just giggled and laughed and giggled, and every time he'd get pushed back and a little higher, he just giggled with glee, and I just thought, man, oh, to be young again and to just have the wonder of that carefree spirit. And, uh, you know, let me say to you that you can have that. It doesn't mean we're not burdened with care. But I think about David who was so burdened down and he prayed for the Lord to restore unto him the joy of salvation and to uphold him by his free spirit. To put that, as it were, spring back in the step. The song on the lips and the joy in the heart. My friends, today is proof that it will come again. And I believe that we need to, to just stand ready to draw near to the Lord and await those moments of time when He fills our hearts with the joy of the Lord. In John chapter 2, I want us to begin in verse 13, where here the Bible tells us, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the changers of money sitting. And when He had made a scourge of small cords, He drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. Now let's pause for a minute. That doesn't seem like a very nice thing to do, does it? Folks, let me say something to you. There was nothing mean-spirited or unkind about Jesus. He was only good all the time. He was truly kind. And what He did, He did in love and for a profound and eternal purpose. I've paused here to say that I have talked to some who have tried to justify a harsh tone with people, tried to justify an angry spirit by taking me to John 2 and say, well, look at Jesus. Didn't He drive them out of the temple with a cord, a whip made of cords? Didn't He do it twice? And you know, even Jesus got angry. The fact of the matter is this. The Lord was not impetuous or impulsive. The Lord was not hurtful or angry. The fact of the matter is, in those moments of time, 
He stood upon a principle and said, It is written, My house shall be of all nations a house of prayer. But ye have turned it into a den of thieves. And friends, I would tell you that we have a loving Savior who knows when and how to take the right stand in the right way. So never try to use this passage to rationalize your sinful behavior because Jesus never sinned in utilizing the wrath of man. Because the Bible tells us in James chapter 1 that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And God's purpose here was absolutely to fulfill righteousness. Okay, I just I had to throw that in. That wasn't my message, but that was pretty good to throw in, wasn't it? Alright, we're still right here. Alright, the Bible says in verse 16, And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days... I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Father God, help us today as we study your word. Teach us by thy Holy Spirit, we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Today I want to bring you a message entitled, oddly enough, Christmas in a Jewish Temple. Now that seems like a contradiction in phrases, does it not? Certainly we wouldn't say Hanukkah in a Christian church. That's not appropriate. That's not the Christian tradition. Neither could we appropriately perhaps say Christmas in a Jewish temple. But if we want to boil this thing down, we look at what the Bible itself says here about Jesus and what He was saying when He said, destroy this temple. And the Bible clarifies for us then, and it says in verse 21, He spake of the temple of His body. Can we not then say that Christmas was in a Jewish temple? (laughs) Because Christmas was wrapped up in Jesus Christ, was it not? And, and so indeed it was. But let me say this to you, my friend. While it, we think it's strange to see a Christian celebration in a Jewish temple, nevertheless we can identify Christmas as the church celebrates it all the way back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. We can trace it back to what took place in His first celebration of Passover as He began His new ministry. The analogies are unmistakably clear and cannot be dismissed or overlooked. I believe that we must learn the lesson from the Jews if 
we're to truly celebrate, celebrate Christmas in an entirely Christian fashion. I believe that we need to see what leads us to these conclusions as we consider Christmas in a Jewish temple. How they passed the time of Passover is not in some ways unlike how many of us will pass a Christmas season. And it's sad to say that they had oftentimes turned it into something that was really far afield from what the Lord intended for it to be. They made a mockery of the sacrifices and at times they made compromises that grieve the heart of God and this was one of those instances where that Jesus came in and righteously and wholly corrected a serious and a egregious error that had come into the temple grounds. And so, I think with that same sense of a desire to know what is right and what is holy, we come to this thought of how we pass Christmas as it relates to how Jesus dealt with the most important celebration in the Jewish culture. You see, there were some problems that they had there, and we can easily identify them in these few verses, and I think that they translate into the problems that the church is having in 2020 with Christmas itself. And that is, first of all, we see the problem of their ministry. You say, well, they had a problem with ministry? I want to tell you that it became very perfunctory. It was very dutifully that every Jewish family prepared to sacrifice, made their plans for a pilgrimage, made their way to Jerusalem, took pains to secure lodging and obtain food and to spend the feast days there and to offer sacrifices there. And there was much to do and there was a great deal of stress perhaps involved with that because as we study the Word of God, one of the things that we discover is that Jerusalem was a hub of activity in the center of their lives and it was packed with worshipers who had come to celebrate the Passover. Is that not unlike the shopping malls of today, and in many cases, the places where we gather for Christmas pageants that are centers of activity and buzzing with people who have come there for the purpose of that celebration. But in many cases, it was perfunctory. They were going through the motions, and in fact, we know from a study of the Word of God, and as we said, even in the narrative of our little Christmas musical that the religious leaders of the day were not looking for things to change anytime soon because when they were confronted with the reality that the star of the Messiah had appeared in the eastern skies and were confronted with that reality by Herod himself, they gave the truth, they quoted the scriptures and did nothing. They did nothing about it. And the fact today is this, that to them, it's not about their Messiah. They did not see Christ in the celebration of the Passover. They did not notice that the Messiah was beneath their noses right in front of them. 
It was a problem because they were just busily going about all the things that they had to do. Now, how many of you are like me and sometimes you get stressed out around Christmas? Let me see your hand. Be honest. How many of you, your stress levels come up a few notches around the holidays? Let me see your hands. All right. Now, we love it and we love to sing the songs, but listen, you have a list of things that you think of when the holidays roll around, don't you? After all, we've got to put up the tree. We've got to get out the lights. We've got to get down the boxes. We've got to start getting the ingredients together, start doing our baking, and we need to send the cards, and we need to make the calls, and we need to plan for the Christmas dinner, and and, uh, we need to practice for the pageant, and we need to get the kids their outfits for the children's program, and we need to buy the gifts. By all means, we've got to buy the gifts. And we have all of these many things that we feel like that we need to do, and sometimes it's not with a great deal of care and thought it's just perfunctory we know that when this time of year comes it's just something we got to do and so you know we start to go through very dutifully doing what parents do and doing what grandparents do amen grandparents can i get a witness you're going to do the duty amen you better (laughs) you know yes you will you're going to enjoy it to every minute of it right deb every second of it but sometimes we go through the motions of that, and if, if you're working a job and, and money's tight, and in what household is that not the case? And if you're trying to check all the boxes and do all the right stuff, sometimes you, you really kind of get burdened beneath the weight of all of what you got to do. You know, the other day I was in a Kohl's. Now, I've really tried hard to stay out of stores lately because... Um, I don't like to shop, I like to buy. And if you don't have money, they won't let you do that. So I've just stayed out of the stores altogether. I didn't want to be tempted to shoplift, amen? I tried to shop on Amazon, but they wouldn't take my IOU, you know? So I, I said, nuts to you folks, you know? And uh, you don't trust me like that? But uh, but anyway, I, you know, I was in a Kohl's the other day, and I was just walking, minding my own business, looking for a little of this and that. And you know, I started to get this headache, you know, how, how many of you know what I'm talking about? I started getting a headache. And, and man, my neck started to stiffen up. And then it went down into my shoulder blades. And, and it was like someone was just going like this with my muscles, you know. And it started to go down my back and through my hips. And I'm like, I need to find a chair somewhere. You know, my wife, she can go wherever she wants. She can shop till she drops. You know, I'm going to go sit down somewhere. If I can't find a chair, I'll just lay down on the, on the floor underneath one of the underneath one of the racks, you know, I don't care. I just got, you know, got to get some relief. And, you know, I realized that what was happening there was I was having some anxiety and stress thinking about how much is this all going to cost? And what could I be doing if I was down at the church right now? What could I be doing if I was home? What do I got on the honeydew list? And not to mention that, oh boy, all the birthdays we've gotten this month. <laughs> that was a little inconsiderate being born in the month of Christmas, right? I mean, you think people would be a little more considerate than just that. You know, and, and so I'm going through the motion, and you know what? I'm losing the joy and the wonder in everything that I'm doing because I'm uptight and stressed out. And you know what? The Jews were right there. You know what they thought? <laughs> I got way too much to do. I can't afford to, to breed a, 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 a sacrifice animal and then carry it all the way from Capernaum to Jerusalem. Huh. Yeah. You know how much work that is to do with kids? You gotta be kidding me, dude. And so, you know what? They talked to the, to the people down at the temple, and, and the people at the temple said, you know what? We've gotta have all the worshipers here. And so, you know what? They, they got a consumer mentality. They said, you know what? Next year when you guys come, you don't have to come with your own animal. You can buy one right here. 
And what's more, we know that you're going to come with your Roman currency, and because there'll be a long line at the Bank of Jerusalem, you just come to the temple, and in the, in the court of the temple, we'll set up tables where you can exchange your Roman currency for Jewish currency and buy your animals, and you know what? We'll just make it a one-stop shop. Won't that be wonderful? And you know what? We'll keep it open 24 hours a day, kind of like Walmart, you know? And you can just come whenever you want to. We'll just make it handy for you. And you know what? Listen, I'm going to tell you something that they began to have another problem. Not only was their ministry traditional and dutiful, it was perfunctory, and they lost the wonder of it all, much like we do at Christmas, but secondly, there was a problem of their merchandising. They began to see worshipers as consumers. And the heart of their spiritual leaders was displayed as those that were desiring profits monetarily. Why? Because they set up money changers and they weren't just giving a fair exchange so many Roman crowns for so much Hebrew currency. You know what they were doing? They were padding that to give themselves a profit in the exchange rate. When I, when I travel to the mission field and we exchange money. Oftentimes, there's all kinds of money changers in the terminal of the airport. But you know what I've discovered? That's not always the best place to buy, to get your money exchanged, because they know they got you coming and going, right? So they're going to give you less for your dollars when you arrive, <laughs> and, and they're going to give you less for your pesos or whatever it is when you leave if you cash them in. Well, that was happening at the temple. And they were making merchandise of the people of God, and, it, and they saw them as consumers, and they were trying to make things convenient for them, rather than making their worship a labor of love for which they were willing to sacrifice beyond the pale of inconvenience. I have discovered that Christians who claim to love the Lord today, very often, not only are unwilling to sacrifice for the Lord that they say they love, but they are unwilling to be inconvenienced for Him. How many services do you have? I've got a tea time. Right? Um, why don't you have one on Saturday? Well, why don't you do this? Do you have a youth league? It would be better if I if I could bring my kids to your church to play sports and I could have fellowship, then I wouldn't have to schedule a separate night for church. And so, you know what? We begin to fashion the place of worship into a one-stop shop for people that don't really want to have to try that hard to express their love. Jesus. And it reveals a problem of their merchandising. They begin to make merchandise of people. One time I had someone say, I know what you are, Pastor. I said, what is that? They said, you are a salesman and your product is Jesus. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not peddling Jesus. If I'm peddling Jesus and you don't buy, I've lost nothing and you've lost everything. It's not a commission game for me, you understand. The fact is that they had come to the place, much like the church of today, that they're trying to 
follow marketing trends and do marketing research in order to know what to do and say at church. But folks, I don't need to read a market survey to know what God wants me to do. All I have to do is read 2 Timothy chapter 4, Pastor. It says, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things... Uh, make full proof of thy ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. My friend, I recognize that today that much of what we may do in the interest of observing pure worship and calling people to total surrender to a living God is not in the grand scheme of the marketing plan the best idea because it doesn't stimulate the carnal man. And so, I'm not suggesting that we make church hard. But neither am I suggesting that we pander to the whims of those who are carnally minded. There's a problem in Jerusalem. They turned the outer court into a barnyard. And it was supposed to be a place that smelled of sweet-smelling oblations being offered unto the Lord. The incense being offered in worship unto the Lord. The prayers of the saints being offered up into the nostrils of God. But it smelled like a barnyard. And the Lord was offended. And the fact is, I think so much of what we try to pass off as ministry to the Lord smells like a barnyard in the nostrils of God because He sees the flesh right smack dab in the middle of it all. There was another problem that they had. Jesus, as He cleansed the temple, said, take these things hence, make not my Father's house and house of merchandise. And then He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And of course we know that the Lord was not talking about the physical building. And they didn't understand that, which revealed another problem. And that was this, the problem of their mysticism. Their mysticism. So I got no problem with that, Pastor. I got no problem with that. You know, I'm going to tell you something. How many of you love Christmas? Be honest. Let me see your hand. You love Christmas. All right. I'm not trying to be a buzzkill here, okay? Because I love it too. All right, I like drinking hot cider. I like eating turkey and ham. All right, I like driving around with the kids and looking at lights. I like putting up the tree. I like a real tree. I'm a Christmas purist. All right, uh, if if you have a fake one, um, that's on you. I'll pray for you, okay? Uh, because you know, I I just want to be real. That's just me. I'm just trying to keep things real here. If you want to be fake. That's between you and the Lord, okay? But but I'm a purist here, okay? Now, but but the point I'm just trying to make is I, I love Christmas and I'm not trying to be a buzzkill, okay? But some of you have bought into the things that Courier and Ives is trying to teach us and that Hallmark Channel is trying to orient us to, and that is a little bit of an emergent church philosophy, a, a little mysticalism, mysticism that has crept into the doctrine of the advent of Christ. Say, so how do you know that, Pastor? You know, I got an email, a Pastor Pack, this week from a pastor that has a doctoral degree in theology. And he was writing something he sent out to his friends, and, and he said this, 
that Christmas is not merely an event, it's more of a state of mind. Okay? Now, some of you have said, let's carry the Spirit of Christmas in our hearts all year. How many of you have said that? How many of you have heard other people say that? Alright, can you give me a Bible verse on that? I can't find it. It's not in there. What we really mean is, let's be kind and loving and humanitarian and jubilant and merry all year long. I think that's what we mean. But I think what, what Satan is trying to do is very subtly infect the truth with a mystical aspect of it. We want to have some sort of ethereal awe and wonder that we hold in our hearts all the year through. And we want to have some otherworldly type of experience. That's just like they did in Jerusalem at Passover. You know what? The Lord cleansed the temple. They realized He was right. They were wrong. And so knowing that they were standing in the presence of someone that understood the law better than they were practicing it, they said, what sign are you going to show us? Show us a sign, alright? And you know, if it was just me, I'm, it wasn't me, but if it was just me, I would have said, here's your sign. Okay. You never saw Jeff Foxworthy do that? No? Okay, forget it. But uh, anyhow, <laughs> I know, you're from West Virginia, you know what that means. But uh, anyhow, uh, but look, Show us a sign. And they weren't talking about this. They weren't talking about sign language. They were talking about, show me something miraculous and mystical. And boy, don't we want to see the mystical miraculous, especially at Christmas. We want a Christmas miracle, right? Miracle on 40... What is it? 32nd Street? Is that what it is? You know, if it, look, I'd get lost down there I, at Woolworths and I'd never wind up at Macy's. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is some of you remember Woolworths, don't you? Yeah. But, uh, but look, we want a miracle at Christmas and we want all these things mystical to happen. But, but we're not looking for God to do much work outside of that the rest of the year. We're, it's on us, you see. They craved an ethereal experience Based upon signs. They, 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 they wanted God to show them something really sensational so that they would believe that, that He was the one. And Christ sought to draw them through the Word, not through the sensational. That's something that we're going to, to highlight in just a moment as we draw this to a conclusion very quickly. But, but they were a little mystical about it. They, they wanted to find the light. They wanted to see the signs. And folks, listen. Jesus came to the point at the conclusion of His ministry where He spoke of the Jews who were always asking Him for a sign and said, this wicked and adulterous generation always requireth a sign. And it was a frustration to God. Why? Because they said, if you do a miracle, we'll believe you. And you know what they were saying by that? We don't believe what you said. So do something sensational and maybe we'll believe it. You know what God wanted? For them to take Him at His word. Just believe Him. Right? Have you ever been frustrated with someone that was not believing what you were telling them? And they were convinced that you're just not telling it right. Right? 
And you've come to the place where you're like, you know, I don't want to tell you, but you're going to believe whatever you're going to believe. But look, this is what I'm telling you. It's true. And I have no reason to lie to you. Either take it or leave it, right? You believe it or don't believe it. The fact of the matter is, our faith is never established by miracles. It's always established by truth. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so, God does not establish faith based upon mystical works of magic and miracles. By the way, I would tell you this, that I believe, and I've talked to Pastor Eckleberry about this, I believe that the greatest miracle is the miracle of the new birth. That God would love any of us. And that He would save any of us. And, 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 and that's a miracle in and of itself. But I want you to notice something. The Lord said, tear down this temple and in three days I'll build it. And they said, wait, 46 years this was in the building. Are you going to tear it down and then think that you're going to rebuild it in three days? Well, the Lord was sharing a spiritual truth, but their material minds were not receiving it. It just it wasn't coming home to them. There's a problem of materialism. They did not understand the teaching of Jesus because of their fixation with the material world. And you know, there are many people that come to church and they hear a sermon like this and they say, I didn't get anything out of that. And it's not because it was a poor presentation or there was no truth in it. It was because they are so wrapped up in a material world that they don't have the capacity apart from the dynamic of the Holy Spirit doing a special work in their hearts to illumine their minds, to receive that truth. And it's just kind of falling on dead ears. And today, unfortunately, we have people that have been lulled to the place where their ears have waxed dull of hearing because they are so impacted with the material world that when God leads us spiritually, we're not getting it. And is that not so much like the parable of the sower in the Word of God where the seed of the Word was sown and some of it fell on the stony ground? It never took root. We see that. That there are those that were so material that they didn't understand spiritual truth. Their perspectives were earthly and not heavenly. It is what they were rooted in. And consequently, they had two masters. Because no man can serve two masters. But there are those that are so rooted in this world of making profit and materialism and all the things that, and having pleasurable experiences to stimulate the flesh that they fundamentally are at a place where they are opposing themselves by having two masters and they are pleasing none. So we see there was a problem with their ministry. It became perfunctory and they, they took God all, all the way out of it. There was a problem of merchandising. They, they, they wanted a consumer mentality. They wanted to come and go and do things the way they wanted to do them and put God on their terms. And that was the conditions of their worship. And, and the church was going to be accommodating and they did so for profit. There was a problem of their mysticism. They wanted just the sensational. They, they wanted to be able to sit in church and hear three points in a poem and go home and stare at kittens on their screensaver and feel good about themselves instead of really dealing with truth and allowing God to do a mighty work of transformation in their life. They were mystical. Of course, none of you would ever be like that, I'm sure. 
The problem with their materialism was that they were so earthly-minded that they were no heavenly good. But there was a problem with mankind there that day because the Bible revealed to us this, that many believed in His name when they saw the miracles which He did. Now, here's a troubling passage for some people, but we have to reckon with it. Verse 24, But Jesus did not commit Himself unto them. Did you see that? Does that trouble you a minute? Jesus did not commit Himself unto them because they, He knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. So what does it mean? Huh. The people came to the, celebrate the Passover. They heard the teaching of Jesus and then you know what? They, they began to watch the miracles that He did. The healing of the sick. You thought, this is amazing. Martha, you think this guy could be the Messiah? I think so too. In fact, you know what? He does another one of those miracles. I'm just going to say he is. He's got to be. <laughs> and what's for supper? Right? Man, I hope you've got that mutton stew. You know, and lentils. I'm, I'm ready for that. Right? So, let's go home and talk about it some more. Well, I believe that guy back, back yonder, he is. You know what? In their minds, they thought he, he well could be. But you know what? In their hearts, they never held to the truth that He's our only hope. They didn't want to give Him their everything. They just wanted to give Him their attention for a while. And they believed that He sure could be the Messiah. But it never took root in their hearts to the place where it transformed them. You know when most of them really believed? After the resurrection. Because then the truth of everything Jesus said came home to their hearts. By the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the truth of what He said, not what He did. You think about it. God understood the hearts of man. And although they believed, God knew their hearts that they were hedging themselves in. Today, my mother is in heaven. Her dad, Bill Brennan, is with the Lord. My granddad. For many years, my granddad was not a churchgoer and he was not saved. And we prayed for him all the time to get saved. When my dad asked for my mother's hand in marriage, he went to, to her father and said, I'd like to marry your daughter. And my granddad said, my grandpa Brennan, he said, you know, I pay the, the country club dues for a Jewish rabbi. I pay the bar tab at the country club for a Catholic priest. The way I got it figured, if I give my daughter to a Baptist pastor, I've got all my bases covered. You know what he was doing? Trying to hedge himself in. If this is the only way, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a little attention. But if that is, I'll give that some too. And if that is, maybe I'll, I'll just be nice to them and maybe somehow I'll curry some favor with God. You know what, they, they followed Him. They said, we, we believe. They never took hold of it to the extent that it transformed them into the image of Christ. 
And the fact is today that there are many who have given their attention to God for a moment. But there's never been the new birth because the Word of God never took root in their heart. And do you know what the Bible said? That Jesus did not commit Himself unto them. Because He knew exactly what was in their heart. Oh, they might have prayed a prayer. They, they, they might have said, you know, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me. But God knew what was in their heart. He didn't have to be invited in to know what was in it. That's what the Bible says. It says, He knew what was in man. And I believe that even in a room this size with as many people as are here today, there is someone here that says, oh, I'm going to heaven. And what you're trusting in is the fact that one day you had an experience and you gave your attention to the things of the Lord and maybe you even wept and you repeated a prayer after someone, but God looked into your heart and He knew that you were doing it to satisfy a friend. He knew that you were doing it to get a Bible thumper off your back. He knew that you were doing it because you thought it was just a thing to do and what could it hurt? And He knows when you have done it because there is no hope in anyone or anything else and you have come and thrown your life and your eternity upon the mercies of Almighty God alone. Tell me, what have you done? I was talking to a man this week and I asked him, you know for sure if you died today that you go to heaven? You know what he said? He said, well, you know, I was baptized several years ago at my church. I said, I didn't ask you that. I didn't ask you if you were baptized. I didn't ask you if you had a spiritual experience somewhere. I asked you, do you know? So how do you know? On the basis of what God said. There's a lot that I've learned from our pastor emeritus, Pastor Eckleberry, through the years. Pastor Eckleberry, I love you. One of the things that you told me, and I'll never forget this, is that whenever you deal with someone that is desiring to be saved, after they have gone through the plan of salvation with you and they have prayed to receive the Lord, you don't say, you know what, now you're saved. Now you're on your way to heaven. You said you don't ever do that. You know what he says? If you were sincere in your prayer, your desire to be saved, on the authority of God's Word, you're not saved because I declare you saved. You're not declared because your dear old sainted grandmother told you you were. You're saved by the authority of what God says. Amen? And he said, I don't want people's confidence to rest in the fact that I made a declarative statement that they're now saved. I want it to rest in the eternal, inerrant, unchanging Word of God because when I'm gone and not here to tell them what they said or did, they will still have the unchanging truth of the Word of God to comfort their heart. For it says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 
and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. There's a problem with mankind. They only wanted to offer Christ a part of themselves, but not give themselves entirely to Him as their Savior. And lastly, there was a problem of mastery. You see, Jesus proved that He was the Master by declaring unto them, destroy this temple, meaning His body, and in three days, I'll raise it up again. And so He did, declaring that He is Lord of heaven and earth. He knew their minds. He knew what was in them. He was their Lord. But they had not submitted themselves unto their Lord and Master. In fact, they crucified Him. So we find Jesus at the beginning of His ministry in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And what He found there, I suppose He would find in Christian churches the world over at this time of year. People going about the business of celebrating Christmas. People trying to make it convenient to express that they're excited about the season through marketing and merchandising. Trying to create wonderful moments to appeal to the mystical instincts within us rather than imparting truth that never changes. The problem of relating others to the material world such that we hear it so much that when we're confronted with spiritual truth, we have no recognition of it and feel we have no need for it. The problem that we want to give Jesus our attention a little at Christmas, but you know what? I'd rather just continue my life as I have it working. It's going okay right now. And that's a problem. But my friends, let me tell you something. Christmas in a Jewish temple it was wrapped up in the body of Christ. Why a body? For sacrifice. That's it. Jesus came to die. To pay the price for your sin. Beyond that, He came to be buried. And to rise again after three days, even as He said that He would. To prove to you what others were skeptical about. That He is indeed our God and our Messiah. And that same Jesus that came at Christmas is coming again to receive all those who have trusted Him into heaven, the realms of glory, throughout the endless ages of eternity. Don't let religion, don't let Madison Avenue reshape your view of celebrating Christmas in a Jewish temple. I mean wrapped up in the body of Jesus. Praise the Lord for Christmas. Praise Him even more for Easter. Amen. I'm looking for His coming, aren't you? I'm not waiting like a child for Christmas morning. I'm listening for the trumpet. I'm waiting for His coming.
I hope that you are too. Father God, how we thank you today for the truth of the word. Lord, help us not to just walk away and be totally disaffected. I pray, Lord, that you would bring its truth home to every heart and draw us ever closer through this season to the one that loved us and gave himself for us. Our heads are bowed for just a moment. Realize there's been a lot going on this morning, and I'll not hold you very long. But I want to just simply say that the most important thing that can happen today is if there's someone listening that does not know that their sins are forgiven and that heaven is their home, the most important thing that can happen is for you today to settle it once for all and know that heaven is yours through the forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus came at Christmas to do for you. Perhaps today you're seated here and you would say, Pastor Mark, I do not know that if I died right now that I would spend forever in heaven with God and I am concerned about it. And if that's you, I don't want to embarrass you. But I'd like to have the privilege of remembering you in prayer. And so today, if you're seated in this room and you are not certain that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home, while no one is looking except me, I wonder if you would just slip your hand up and say, pray for me, Pastor. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Is there one like that? Here's my hand. Pray for me. Then perhaps there's someone here today that would say, Pastor Mark, I know that heaven is mine. I've received that free gift of eternal life. But I have loved ones I'll interact with this Christmas in some way that do not know the Lord. Pray for me that I would not lose sight of what God placed me in their life to do. That I would tell them about the greatest gift they could ever have. Pray for me that I would do that when God gives me that opportunity. Here's my hand. God bless you and you and you and you and you and you. God bless you and you and you and you. and Hands all across this auditorium. You know why God put you in their life? You don't have to wonder. Give them the hope. The hope of the Gospel. That's why God put you there. Don't let Christmas pass with tinsel and lights and turkey and ham without telling someone about Christmas in a Jewish temple. Heavenly Father, thank You for these sweet people, for their attentiveness today. Lord, I pray that somehow, some way, You would bring these truths to their heart long after the service is over. And God, I pray that You would help us to truly honor and glorify Your name among our loved ones and friends in these days we call the season of Christmas. Lord, thank You for Freeway Baptist Church. Continue to keep the doors open and the Gospel light shining brightly. For this we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.